Hello and welcome to PathPod. I'm Dr. Mike Arnold of Children's Hospital Colorado, and this is the next episode of the PathPod Quiz Show. Our hosts today are Dr. Sarah Jang of Duke University and Dr. Christina Arnold of the University of Colorado. Our resident guests today are Dr. Jordan Taylor and Dr. Nicole Kroom of the University of California, San Francisco. They host the podcast Dead Men Do Tell Tales. Dr. Taylor is on Twitter at Jet916, and Dr. Kroom is on Twitter at NICNAC363. Our faculty guest today is Dr. Daniel Fajardo of SEPA Labs in Brunswick, Georgia. Now here's your hosts, Sarah and Christina. Hello, and welcome everyone to PathPod. We are so excited to have our guests here. We have two very special resident contestants, the hosts of the amazing Forensics Podcast, Dead Men Do Tell Tales. If you haven't checked it out yet, you must. It's amazing. You can find all the info on Twitter at Dead Men Do. And the hosts are Dr. Nicole Kroom and Dr. Jordan Taylor. Also excited to welcome our practicing pathologist guest, Dr. Daniel Fajardo, Director of the Genito Urinary Pathology Service at Southeastern Pathology Associates. I'm your co-host, Dr. Sarah Jang. I'm at Duke Health, and you can find me on Twitter at Sarah, no H, underscore J-I-A-N-G. And of course, I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Christina Arnold. Hey, y'all. And Mike Arnold. Welcome, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. Monday, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) hopefully, you know, preceded by a good weekend or some kind of weekend. I mean, in 2020, a weekend is probably as as good as we can hope for, right? Yeah. (laughs) Assuming you can tell when it is the weekend. Yes, yes. Has anyone else had the sense that, like, because everything is virtual, work and home has kind of all blended together, so there's not great boundaries? Just me? I'm doing forensics this month, so I'm going into work Monday through Friday, so I have the nice separation of work and home right now, which is glorious. I'm currently on a work from home rotation, so I totally feel you there. Although I've been taking advantage of my work from home rotation to work from other people's homes. So Ooh. I'm actually currently in Denver at one of my friend's um, places. So oh. yeah. Getting out wow. Of wow. Wow. That's nice. Have you taken any hikes while you're here? Yeah. Yesterday we actually um, went on this nice hike on Mount Evans. Yeah, oh, so you did a 14er. A 14. I have no idea what did that. Did you go to the top of Mount Evans? <laughs> so 14ers um, are getting up to 14,000 feet and you have to you have to get at least 3,000 feet in elevation change. I think the one that we did was almost 3,000 feet in elevation change. It might have qualified. We used um, all trails to find this particular okay. It was called Hell's Hole, I want to say. Fancy. Good yeah. for you. It was very beautiful. Not at all like what I would imagine hell would be. Like. <laughs> just wait. We're just at the top of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it goes deeper. Actually, just thinking about a 14,000 foot elevation makes me feel a little bit short of breath. Yes, I could definitely feel my heart pumping harder than normal. Made me feel quite out of shape. <laughs> you can always blame it on the elevation, though. Um, I think the closest I got was like, I was in Machu Picchu climbing Huayna Picchu, you know, the mountain behind mm-hmm. Machu Picchu. And I was sore for three days afterwards. I've ne- I'm not an exerciser, so I don't, I don't really have a lot of experience with this kind of thing. But when I've exercised, sometimes I've been sore for like 
a day, two days. This was the first time I was sore for three days afterwards. And uh, I blame it on the elevation, not my general deconditioning. So, Daniel, you're from Peru, aren't you? Yes. Are you really? Born in Peru, wow. yes. Wow, where, where in Peru? I was born in Lima. Oh, okay. So a little bit closer to the coast and not as high elevation. Yeah, but my family's, uh, my father's family's from Ayacucho up in the mountains, so I used to spend all my summers up in the Andes. Wow. That's, That's an awesome. altitude. Mm-hmm. Did oh, you yeah, go see, altitude. did you see Machu Picchu? Or is that uh, like, yes. oh, we see all the time? Okay. Oh, every time I go with somebody comes, they always have to go. So I've been there okay. like, with Buddy Fuda and a couple okay. other people have gone to Machu Picchu, yeah. Wow, wow. I feel like like the exact opposite now being in Georgia. My mom lives in Georgia, so it's like as (laughs) as low. Yeah. Yeah. If I I see an anthill, I go, wow, look at the elevation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh, that's so funny. That's so funny that Machu Picchu is. So I used to live in New York and like Times Square. We would never go to Times Square. We would try to avoid it like the plague unless people came to visit where you had to like take your visitors to Times Square and do the touristy thing. And I love that Machu Picchu is like the Times Square of Peru, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhat more impressive. Well, are y'all ready to get started with some fun and hopefully mildly educational pathology related games? Let's do it. All right. Well, we have gotten to know Nicole and Jordan through their podcast, Dead Men Do Tell Tales. Can you guys tell us, for our listeners who may not have heard it yet, tell us about your podcast and how you guys got it started? Yeah, it's a podcast about forensic pathology-related topics. Both Nicole and I are now fourth-year residents at UCSF. We're both interested in forensics. We realized that we were both interested early on, and we kind of chatted at some point about how various murder related podcasts don't really do the science and the medicine particularly well so we wanted to clarify and learn and so we kind of started the podcast for that and we've been going for what has it been a year now nicole yep just over a year congratulations that's a big milestone for podcasts thank you so what is the best and the worst part of podcasting have you found uh, for me, I think the best part of podcasting is having uh, an excuse to spend more time with Jordan that can qualify as educational. <laughs> uh, and I think the worst part is probably the editing, I think. I just listen to my own voice back and don't understand how anybody stands talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, between hanging out with Nicole and learning a lot about forensics that I didn't know, it's been awesome. But I also hate editing. The waveforms that you see of your own, like, words, you, like, know what your ums look like, and it just drives you crazy. But if it didn't have to edit, it would be amazing. That's awesome. You guys do a great job. So I, I... I've loved your talk show, or your podcast for a while. I was surprised when we did our Megapod show, which I hope you guys all check it out. It's a it's a show that we did collectively, a bunch of pathology podcasters, and then we launched it from all of our respective sites. I was so surprised to see you guys were residents because this is such a big, I just felt like when I'm listening to you guys, it feels like I'm talking to experts, which you are, but that, um, one of the favorite one of my favorite parts about you guys is your friendship and your banter you can clearly tell your friends so tell us about how you guys met and um something that would surprise us about each other 
Yeah, so we actually didn't meet until residency. We met a little bit before residency officially started at a social gathering that we had for our incoming class. Um, but we didn't really talk until our orientation picnic. And then we just hit it off right off the bat, um, probably because we have so many mutual interests, including forensics and dogs and beer. So uh, ever since then, we've pretty much been each other's go-to person in residency. And actually, I had a friend in medical school who played rugby at MIT. And so she told me that she recognized Jordan's name. And she said, oh, watch out for this girl. She's super cool. You need to try to hang out with her. Wow, small world. Yeah. (laughs) That's so great, too, that you have such a good collaboration. I feel like in residency, sometimes it can be, you know, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of learning. And having someone who can be kind of your go-to person who's got your back, having that kind of support is really fabulous. I think we also got lucky that we both were on the same APCP track because at UCSF, the years are totally separate. So we did our two AP years first, and then we did our two CP years. And so since we've had these two CP years, we've had a little bit more time. And since we've had it together, we've both had a little bit more time to put into podcasting and that kind of thing. So it's worked out really well. Where are you guys doing your fellowship? We'll be going to the King County Medical Examiner's Office in Seattle, Washington. Oh, together again. And we're going to be the two fellows, so they have no idea what's coming. Wow. Or maybe they do. Oh, One man, of the things I life. love about your show is that sometimes when I'm missing my girlfriends, I listen to your show because I just like the banter is great, but I also love the names of your shows. So I pulled up a few just to tantalize our audience. Here's your Murder Christmas. Oh, um, ho, oh, no. Murder Christmas. I love it. Murdery Christmas. Excuse me. There's no place like home. Deaths in the homeless. Dumb ways to die. Some plants are only edible once. That is totally my favorite, by the way. I, that, that's my favorite one. I love sure. it. I love it. Don't put baby in a corner. Sudden infant death syndrome. My corona. How COVID is affecting death investigation. Stick them with a pointy end. Sharp force injuries. When Fluffy attacks. <laughs> when Fluffy attacks. It's definitely been one of those things that we just, at the beginning, we kind of started with the first one was kind of funny. And then we're like, we have to stay funny. And sometimes <laughs> we're really bad at it. And You're sometimes great. it just works. <laughs> I love, let me just read a couple more because I just have to. More bodies, more problems, mass casualty incidents. Resting witch face, sorcery, and forensics. I mean, this is great. I just, I love it. I love it. Up next, XT, the scoop on strangulation. Okay. I love it. I love your guys' show. Okay. We also have Path Pod Stories is coming out with the best friends episode, and we're hoping you guys will record a little more about your best friendship put. So I don't want to dip too deep in that. We would love to ask all of our friends, if you couldn't have been a pathologist, what would your backup career have been? That's a good question. I feel like when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut, but my vision was, I have horrible, horrible vision. Thank God for contacts. I couldn't be a pathologist or I couldn't be a doctor. You couldn't be a doctor. Or both. You can answer both if you have answers there already. It's probably some scientist of some sort, like some bio something, probably. Okay, cool. What about you, Nicole? Yeah, I always really liked writing and storytelling when I was growing up. So I think if I didn't go into the healthcare field, I would have gone into journalism. Or I always thought it would be cool to work in a publishing house and be like the person that the initial manuscript comes to. And you kind of choose yeah. 
pages go on to get published. Oh my gosh. Well, you heard it here first. Mike, when we listened to you guys, he's like, "How? let's bet how long it takes for Hollywood to scoop these two up and take them as forensic consultants. So Hollywood, you heard it here. I'll take right. it. It sounds like it makes a right lot more here. money than a forensic pathologist makes, which isn't too much. <laughs> yeah, I might have closures to throw up on the PowerPoint presentation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Great. I've so always wanted to be one of those people that has a disclosure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah. In our usual segment, I read our medical student guests board-style quiz questions, but we are playing a new game for our advanced pathology residents. I will read you three board-style questions, provide the correct answer, and you win a point. Win enough points, and you win a prized PathPod clear ruler. Ready to play? This one we get to do together, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's right, you are collaborating. Oh, good. All right, the theme is forensics. Oh, Number okay. one, what is used to visualize fingerprints at a crime scene? A, charcoal powder. B, nickel powder. C, baby powder. D, aluminum powder. I'm thinking D, but I'm not exactly sure. That's also what I... Uh, but you're right and you're right it's aluminum Yay. powder very good you kind of brush it on with a brush just like we learned in hollywood <laughs> oh i love the idea of baby powder though just you know <laughs> like you could just sprinkle that on anything we and then use that in the morgue for like a layer between gloves yeah yeah or or yeah that would be really challenging if you were using that to like dust your gloves <laughs> all right i love it um, okay, number two. What is the minimum number of fingerprint match points required by the United States law to assure a match? A, 12, B, 100, C, 20, D, no minimum. It's going to be C or D. It's definitely not 100. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to say C. Okay. okay. Let's do it. Locking in C, it actually is D. There is no minimum. There were 12. It was required to have 12 points up until 1943. Some experts say at least 20, but there is no legal minimum. I just would like to say, as a resident, I would have gotten none of these correct. I um, did a little forensic pathology trivia. So, um, Hunt. All right, number three. Which of the following is true? This is your last question. Which of the following is true? A, everyone has fingerprints. B, identical twins have identical fingerprints. C, koalas have fingerprints. Or D, fingerprints are formed at age 20 to 25 weeks gestation. It's A or D. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, do koalas have fingerprints? Now I immediately want to Google. I'll bet no that they have, I think they have pads. My guess would be they have pads. Because, like, everybody, it's definitely, obviously, identical twins don't have the same think of everybody having having fingerprints but then i guess i also consider younger gestation not necessarily like people quote unquote in that sense so that's why now i'm thrown off i'm thinking it might be d a person who burns off your fingerprints (laughs) (laughs) i'm assuming it's naturally um because who else wouldn't i guess if like you don't have a hand you wouldn't have a fingerprint so i guess technically a would not be true 
Or maybe I am loving like, this reasoning. <laughs> yeah. It's all about that's the whole deductive process, talking it out. Like, you know, what's so, the most likely? This is the diagnostic process in action, right? Let here. me throw something in there. When I went to TSA, you know, to get that TSA pre check, you have to take fingerprints. Yeah. The lady said, I almost have no fingerprints. So it took me a long time. Oh. She's like, Are you a nurse? I was like, I'm a doctor. But um, <laughs> her, the guess. whole thing she says, like, nurses and teachers and daycare workers are constantly washing hands mm. so that their uh, fingerprints actually can wear off. Wow. Anyway, that was just a side note. So what did you guys want to go with? Well, now D? I want to go with D. <laughs> you guys are going with D? All right, we're locking you in with D. The answer is actually C. This was super interesting, though. Yeah. Online, my friend, I, yeah, so I actually I almost wore a koala dress today. <laughs> no, but but and I, I'm sorry to steal your thumb, thunder, Christina. No, but I was watching some thing about Australia and about how like there was some crime where they were like really confused by these fingerprints that were left at the scene of the crime. I'm probably telling this all wrong, but whatever. It's my story. I'll tell it. And it turned out that it was koalas and it was koala fingerprints that were Isn't that hilarious? I don't know so if it koalas was like a so weird. have fingerprints, friends. They have fingerprints. Um, a is incorrect. There are some humans who are born without fingerprints. Those are there are certain number of syndromes that are just too long for me to pronounce. And pre-forensics, that would have made him be able to do any kind of crime but um so a is incorrect people do have no fingerprints in certain particular syndromes b is incorrect identical twins have different fingerprints um d that was a hard one uh, they said fingerprints are formed mike do you know our pd actually 10 to 15 weeks gestation so guess what guys you have won a pathpod clear ruler congratulations Yay. the only thing is you have to share it just kidding, just kidding. Um, you will be the envy of your friends and enemies. Tell us, what are you going to do next? Uh, move in together in Seattle and start Forensics Fellowship and share that ruler in Seattle. <laughs> I, I, say, I, I have some ideas about what you have next because there's another game and it's your opportunity to win oh, another right. half clear ruler. <laughs> We're just giving them away. Everyone, and you get a clear ruler, and you get a clear ruler, and you get a clear ruler. I guess, are there are there applications for clear rulers in forensics, though? I realize that our, our um, prize mm. is actually pretty, it's pretty anatomic pathology, surgical pathology specific, right? Because in cytopath, I don't really need a clear ruler, um, you know, to measure the lesions I'm biopsying. I mean, you measure in forensics because you're measuring, like, um, injuries, you're measuring still lesions in the body and stuff like that so you measure stuff all right excellent. you have to disinfect sure. it really yeah, well yeah. yeah oh for sure for sure yes yes you don't want to use it for like your you know desk accessories oh and i have an idea oh, so ahead. if you win two rulers one can be your morgue ruler and one can be your mm. office ruler yes right oh but they look exactly the same how are you going to keep them the blood apart? the blood, blood. Would the them blood. Apart. i'm pretty sure you know it's been a while since <laughs> i was blood. on my forensics rotation i'm pretty sure y'all clean the instruments between cases you know just like the blood in well. the brain <laughs> This Don't take the brains great, to your office. This is a great recruitment tool right now. <laughs> the field of forensics. Go into forensics. Never have to clean. We need more people. <laughs> I can't All wait right. for the Seattle court case that features a 
photograph from an ex- autopsy exam has a path plot to learn it. <laughs> oh, man. Then we'll know we really made the big time. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. When we see the path pod clear ruler in litigation somewhere, uh, I don't know if I'm looking forward to that day or dreading it. So, Both. all right. All right. So, for this next game, I am going to have the two of you compete against each other. And I have faith that your friendship is going to survive this test of wits. Um, and so, you know, if you've listened to the show, you know that I love bad puns. And so I, I reined myself in just a little bit, not that much, not, not really that much. Uh, and I thought I would make, because you, you're both so passionate about forensics, I would make a game literally entitled four and six. And <laughs> so four, the number four and six mm. is a pun for forensics. And that's actually really, believe it or not, that's the only pun I have in this game. So we're going to go back and forth between the two of you, and you'll take turns answering. Each of the answers to these questions is either the number four or the number six. So you have a 50-50 chance at getting it right. But here's I like the twist. those odds. Uh-huh. But here's the twist. If you get it wrong, your opponent automatically gets the point. So there are stakes at play here. And unlike Christina's game, where someone could learn about forensics, most of these um, questions are not actually about forensics. And as we go along, get less and less related to pathology. But there's some there's some science and there's some learning there because this is an educational podcast, and you know we want to keep it educational. Just to give an example, if I asked you, what is the most common number of parathyroid glands present? The answer would of course be four. Although as an endocrine pathologist, I know that about 5% of individuals have supernumerary glands um, and they go wandering into weird locations like the thymus and the mediastinum, the thyroid. And so, yeah. All right. Any questions before we get started? Nope. And ready to play for your uh, Secondary, possibly morgue, clear path pod ruler. <laughs> and of course, um, bragging rights. All right. So we'll start with, let's see, we'll start with Nicole. Um, the question is when determined, and remember, all the answers are either four or six. If you get it wrong, your opponent gets the point. Not when determining manner of death, generally speaking, how many categories of manner of death are there, not counting undetermined pending? I counting undetermined four. Yes, exactly. And for a bonus point, what are the four categories? Natural, accident, suicide, and homicide. That was your one and only forensics question. And no, I didn't get the forensics question. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. There's yeah, I think that's that's basically about as many as we have. Sorry. And she gets a bonus point with it. And Darn. she gets a bonus point. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about the bonus point. I'm going to have to do some complicated math over here. All right. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So, Jordan, next question for you. How many steps are in a prototypical viral life cycle? <laughs> no idea. Um, six. It's 50-50. <laughs> yes, you got it right. See? Hey. <laughs> The viral replication involves prototypically six steps, which are attachment, penetration, uncoding, replication, assembly, and release. And, uh, you know, I could ask you what each of those stages are for a bonus question, but that would be boring, I think, for everybody. And I also not would not know any of the steps. And I'm, I'm not going to torture you with that. 
All right. Oh, this is like a tight game. You guys are doing mm -hmm. awesome so far. All right. Back to Nicole. The human papilloma virus genome has early and late gene coding regions. Two of the early gene coding regions are thought of as ACA proteins due to effects on cell cycle. The one which mediates inhibition of P53 is E6. Six, yes, exactly, yay. See, they're kind of about science, right? These are these are things that may, might be tested on boards. I remember learning this for boards. So P53 is well known as a tumor suppression gene and E6 mediates inhibition of P53, which leads to proliferation. Um, as a bonus question, and I'm sorry, just the way this is turning out, Nicole is getting all the bonus questions. Sorry, it's okay. I didn't mean I'm, too much that you I'm ready to lose all of them then. <laughs> uh, what is the other HPV oncogene? Uh, is it RB or does it affect RB? It's something with RB. <laughs> wow, very good, very good. The other oncogene is E7. So another early gene mediates inhibition of RB, which also leads to loss of checkpoints. And both the E6 and E7 are being used as potential or investigated as potential therapeutic targets. So awesome. I definitely forgot strong that one. Work. Strong, strong work, work. I strong work. I definitely remember learning these two for boards. I know a couple of times, so. All right, all right, okay. Jordan, it's your turn. Embryology time. Everyone loves embryology. Yes. No. No. Of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. We've got. I, I got know. through medical school with it. But that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> we've got our pediatric pathology colleague here, right? All right. So, which pharyngeal pouch gives rise to the superior parathyroid glands? Third. No. 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 I take it back. It has to be four or six. <laughs> it has to be four. So four. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was third, but that's the other one. That's so it's four. Yeah. It's four. It's four. And so yeah. pharyngeal pouch, man, you're on it. You're on it. So um, pharyngeal pouch four divides into a superior and inferior portion, and the dorsal portion of pouch four gives rise to the superior parathyroid glands. And the inferior parathyroid glands, um, as you were saying, actually come from pharyngeal pouch three. So isn't that interesting? The parathyroids come from that's different that's why I was thinking three because I remember oh, they like switched. Man, wow. you're so on it. That's I that's think you should amazing. give her a bonus point for that. Because yes. I didn't even know. <laughs> yes. Awesome. I'm lost here. The you know I'm an I'm an endocrine pathologist, and really the the only time I think about this is thinking about why it is that thyroids, parathyroids, thymus lymph nodes, all that stuff is just mixed up together in my samples and makes things very, very confusing for me and the surgeons when I'm looking for those parathyroid glands. So awesome. awesome. I feel like okay. the only reason I remember is because it was like the one interesting part of it was when they switched. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, yes. that, is, like that is an awesome memory. Oh, rock on. Okay. All right. Here's, we have, we have two more questions and these are the least related to science. So Nicole, you are up again. And we have this question for you. How many chambers does the heart of a Komodo dragon have? Oh, wow. Okay. And, and if, it, <laughs> if, if it helps, the Komodo dragon is a kind of monitor lizard. <laughs> if it helps. Um, does that help you, Nicole? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. You would think that as somebody whose older sister is a veterinarian, I might have some idea. Wow. Um, I know that the human humans have a four-chamber hearts, and this, as a non-human, potentially would have a very different heart. So I want to say six. Oh, oh, and Jordan gets the point. So actually, Ooh. so... Uh, 
Monitor lizards. So this is a, this is an interesting fact that I learned when I was researching this. Among lizards, only monitor lizards have a functionally divided cardiac ventricle. So in mammals and then like crocodiles and birds, the ventricle is divided by a you know ventricular septum. septum. Yeah. Um, reptiles apparently don't have don't have a great septum, so they have varying degrees of septation. But only monitor lizards, which the Komodo dragon, Komodo dragon is a type of, have a, a divided, fully divided ventricle. So mm. fun things, fun mm. things. You should, right. you should ask your sister that, Nicole, and see if she gets oh. it right. <laughs> and, say, and if she doesn't, I'll revoke her uh, DVM. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, I mean, I feel like Komodo dragons, though, are probably an animal that you don't encounter in most routine veterinary practices. I don't know. I mean, but I wonder if it's like boards that I'm not regularly going to see like pediatric pathology, but I still have to pass them. There you go. So she might still have there to. There you go. Something, you something know. you can bring up um, to try to make your sister feel either really good or really bad, I guess, depending on uh, you know how much she knows about Komodo dragons. All right, so it's it's a really close game, and it all comes down to this question, Jordan, because with that we have it totally tied up at four and four between Jordan and Nicole. So this last question is for the ultimate bragging rights. All right, Jordan, how many times does a horseshoe crab larva molt during its first year of life? I'm going totally 50-50 on this, and only because the last answer was four, I'm going to say six on this one. Oh my gosh, yay! You yeah, six. Yes, and it's five to four. Jordan, you are the winner. The horseshoe crabs. This, this is a very random one, and it's because I think horseshoe crabs, number one, I think horseshoe crabs are really interesting. Um, ooh, actually, you know what? I forgot that I have a bonus point here. So just for fun, um, do you, so, so the horseshoe crab larva molts six times during the first year of their life, and then annually during the next three or four years or however long they live. Um, why are horseshoe crabs important in medicine? Does anyone know? Their blood is used for something. I can't remember what it is, but their blood, it's like all circulating through and they use it for medicine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So horseshoe crabs have something, instead of hemoglobin, they have hemocyanin to carry oxygen through their blood. And it has copper in it, which is why horseshoe crab uh, blood is this weird milky blue color. It looks kind of like Smurf blood, I guess, if, if Smurfs had blood. Um, but they, they use it actually to harvest something called LAL, which is limulus amoebocyte lysate, which is used to test for contamination of medical supplies and vaccines and equipment and injectables. And so horseshoe crabs are actually since you know for the past several decades are bled to get this LAL that is used to test sterility of medical equipment and it's actually been in the news with um, the COVID vaccine as being you know something that, that they're like horseshoe crabs you know key to manufacturing um, COVID vaccines so see I brought it all back to medicine and science and COVID so oh my gosh <laughs> You both did very, very, very well. Um, Jordan, you are the winner of bragging rights, Ooh. so you can, you know, you can, uh, oh, Nicole. We'll, we'll, we'll share the ruler. Too. You both did. We'll, it was such an exciting game. We'll use the shared ruler in the kitchen for some weird purpose back home. That'll be fun. All right. Well, I don't even know about that, but I will send y'all the ruler for sure. Congratulations. You both did so, so well, and that was a particularly um, cruel and unusual game that I had for the two of you. Next, uh, we have our pathologist guest in our Bluff Pathologist game, Christina, take it away. Hello, Dr. Fajardo. Welcome. Hello. 
As I say, I'm a tiny bit nervous because Dr. Fajardo used to be my chief resident. So I feel like he knew me when um, he knew me on, in the darker days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we'll, turn off re- we'll turn off recording, Dr. Fajardo. You can tell us all about Christine. Arnold. Do you remember, um, Daniel, do you remember the first day of, of residency? We had that breakfast at North Campus. Were you there that first day yes. that I was there? Yes. Do you remember anything about that day, that breakfast? Oh, yeah, I do not. Yeah, that's great. That's great. There's a there's this Mike is dying because he knows what happened that first day. But there's this there's this saying that when things go bad, it's always bigger in your head than in real life. So I had this horror trauma that happened to me first day of residency and I'm so glad to know that Daniel does not remember. It's my first day and um it was on North Campus's sixth floor. It's the UT Southwestern in Dallas. And the sixth floor is where I did my some graduates training for a year or two. And that did not go well. So it was bringing up a lot of feelings to be on this floor. And I had a six-month-old baby. And she and so it was my first day away from her. So there's a lot of emotions, the first day of residency. And I did what you, they tell you never to do. I didn't know it then. But I was standing there and I, I hooked my right foot behind my left foot. And I was wearing sort of little mini heels. And so I was unstable. And I am not a well-balanced, graceful person. So no, nobody came around me. And I just lost balance. And I started tipping. And I went all the way to the floor. Like my nose touched the ground. And I remember thinking, should I fake a seizure right now? Because what else <laughs> would explain this horrible behavior? And I was like, no, I can't. I can't fake a seizure. I love that a seizure would have been bad. So I was like, yeah, I, well, I wanted some excuse for this <laughs> stupid behavior. So I'm on the floor and it feels like time stopped. I'm like, what am I going to do? Fake a seizure? Just get up. So I decided I was just going to get up. And Dr. McKenna came to me with some orange juice. So they all thought I had diabetes or I had I had low blood sugar that morning it was so sweet and I was like thank you Dr. McKenna he might have asked if I had had a seat he might have asked some questions to find out what was going on I was like I'm just just I just lost my balance for a minute but wow it was straight like flat nose to the cement there the Michael were you there for that did you see this no I just remember her telling me about it and she was mortified and your chief president did nothing, huh? Yeah, the chief president <laughs> doesn't even remember it. But I feel like there's a life lesson there, which is that the answer is never to fake a seizure, maybe. Don't fake a seizure. I mean, fake a yeah, I would have remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So anyway, so I'm just saying that there's a lot of, sto- there's a lot of history that happened. It was a great four years. It was definitely great four years, but it was, your first it was, year was the best, though, right? Because you had the best chief resident. Exactly, exactly. It was so much fun. <laughs> so tell us how you picked pathology. Well, actually, it was kind of really late into medical school. Um, I had a PhD. I did a PhD in microbiology prior to starting medical school, and I had the idea I was going to be a surgeon. And I realized I really liked surgery, but only when I was in the OR. I didn't like waking up at 4.30 and asking people if they passed gas or anything like that. So I was really struggling with what I was going to do. So for a while, I was ER. I was kind of interested in that. And then I just realized that uh, pathology was probably the most scientific area of uh, medicine. You know, And I noticed that I always liked pathophysiology. I liked why diseases occurred. I wasn't really interested as much in treating it, just finding out you know, what caused the disease. 
And so actually it was like my last year of medical school. I started to apply into pathology and I actually never did a pathology rotation. Wow. My first pathology rotation was as a resident. Oh my gosh. So you really were jumping in. Are you an yeah. impulsive person by nature? <laughs> no, actually I gave it a lot of thought. I was actually pretty calm with it. It was just kind of okay. difficult going in because people were asking, oh, so why did you like your pathology rotations? And I was like, God, okay. I didn't really have one. <laughs> but, you know, I did... Uh-huh did my work and research what they did. And, you know, I did talk to some pathologists before going in. So I felt Wow, that's amazing. If you couldn't be in medicine, what career would you have picked and why? Let's see. Uh, probably something to do with coding because I, I, I was very interested in computer science when I was in high school. And this was, I applied everywhere for computer science except for at Rochester Center Technology where I did my undergrad. I applied for biotechnology because I was interested in genetic engineering. And they said, oh, yeah, why don't you come and do, you know, genetic engineering with us? So I went there and kind of coding kind of went to the back burner and didn't worry about it until I restarted working here and uh, ended up writing a lot of code for reporting of prostates. And so then after that, coding got interesting. So probably computer science. Yep, just more nerd stuff, you know. That's interesting. So when you said coding, I I was thinking billing, like 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 medical coding can you imagine me doing that wow (laughs) that's awesome and that's awesome okay um so you're at rochester institute so that in rochester new york yes oh wow interesting because that's where mike grew up that's a long way to go from peru like weather wise how did you do how'd you handle those winters well initially i moved to california i mean i grew up into high school in california and then okay and that's the point that I wanted to see snow. So that was a wow. nice thing to go. And, okay. and I enjoyed the snow for like maybe the first two days it snowed. But then when it didn't stop snowing for three months, I kind of got over it really quickly. Right. Yeah. I remember like snowing in May and June. I was like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> okay. So you're a GU pathologist. How did you pick GU out of all the areas you could have gone into? Well, when I was in residency, uh, starting my second year residency, I taught the urology residents. Uh, urologic pathology for their board exams and so I did three years of that and uh, it turned out I actually really enjoyed it and so oh cool very interesting all right so if you could give our listeners one piece of advice what's the best piece of advice that you've received that you live by words you live by words I live by regarding pathology and life advice what I've learned in life, if you expect a lifetime of perfection, expect a lifetime of disappointment. Ooh. Wow. wow. Sarah, deep. we need to start asking this, putting this in. We do. We I do love advice question. I thought you were going to say don't fake a seizure. <laughs> we already covered that one. Yeah. If you want to be remembered, fake a seizure. <laughs> if you want to be remembered, fake a seizure. Oh, oh I'm going to have to practice. I'm going to practice that one. Okay, fantastic. Oh, oh, we also wanted to know, we always ask our faculty guests, what do you do in your free time? Uh, right now I have three boys, young boys. So I don't have a lot of free time. But How old are they? Two, four, and seven. Oh, that is oh, a big my house. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Say hi to them on the podcast. Hi, Julian, James, and Jason. You guys are famous. All J names. Yeah, my wife, uh, her family's rules, everybody has to have a J name. She has, her mother's one of ten. They all have J names. And my wife and her siblings have J names. So they all have to have J names. Is it, what's the significance of J? I have no idea. I think it's just, the grandmother started and it kind of just stuck. Okay. 
Wow. I mean, I, I like that letter. That's a good first letter for a name. It is a so. good letter. Yeah, it didn't really lend itself a lot for uh, Spanish. Because, uh, you know, I mean, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm going to go Jose, Joaquin, Juan, or something like that. <laughs> you know, she wanted a, she wanted a name. So my, all my kids have three names. They have a Spanish name, an English name, and a Quechua name. And Quechua is the old pre-Columbian language of uh, yeah. the Incas. That's awesome. And, that is awesome. You know, she wanted to name my son Jay, except in a, there's no just sound in Spanish. It be- uh. becomes a Y sound. So I said, well, if he goes to Peru, they're going to call him Yay. You know, so you can have that. <laughs> so now he's Yason, you know, Yason. Jay and Julian Julian, this is the okay. Spanish version. And then, you know, James, they can call him Jaime. Or How like fluent are you in Quechua? I don't speak it almost at all. My father speaks it. One of my brothers speaks it. I mean, I give my father a hard time because he was actually a Quechua professor at Stanford. And I'm thinking, wow, wow you're teaching all these Americans to speak Quechua and you can teach your kids. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's I feel like amazing. that's like, that's such a, you know, kind of like the, what is it, the cobbler's kids have no shoes kind of situation. <laughs> but it's hard. And, you know, uh, coming from an immigrant family myself, mm-hmm. I forgot how I was born in China and forgot how to speak Chinese uh, yeah. when I moved to the United States because my parents were so much more focused on me learning English and because mm. I didn't know any English and it's mm-hmm. hard to go to school in the U.S. if you don't speak the language at all. So, so does that mean kids in Peru are learning three languages, Quechua, Spanish, and English? Uh, Quechua, I mean, there's kind of been a revitalization of learning Quechua, mostly spoken in the mountains um, in the Andes. I mean, there's, they, I mean, I know people in the Andes that actually they speak Quechua more than Spanish, especially when you get to more remote areas. Oh, okay. So there's still quite a spoken quite a bit. Uh, but uh, I mean, there are classes for teaching, okay. but it's kind of funny. When I grew up in Peru, we were learning English and Spanish, you know, but Quechua was not even a part of it at that oh, time. Oh, really? But the really? one moment of pride is that I taught my kids Puputi, which means belly button in, in, in Quechua. And like when they were little, especially that they don't even know the word, they don't even know the word belly button. They'd be going to their daycare and talking about their Puputi. And the teacher's like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> uh, what's the word for funny. belly button? Puputi, you said? Puputi, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. cool. All right. Are you ready to play Buff the, Bluff the Guest? In this yes. game, we will enlist the help of our resident guests to help stump Dr. Fajardo. Each of the other guests will tell two truths and one lie about their own lives or pathology. Dr. Fajardo will have to guess which is the lie. If he gets enough right, he'll win a special limited edition PathPod ruler. Are you ready to play? Oh, yes. All I need right. I Jordan. Some of my enemies. <laughs> That's right. Jordan, you're up. All right. So my, my three facts, quote unquote. I have a black belt in Taekwondo. I went to all the Disney parks in a year, and I have never dyed my hair. Hmm, let's see. You know, I don't know if I want lying to be a good thing, you know, for a forensic pathologist to have, you know, <laughs> especially if they're testifying, but let's see. Yeah. Black will tuck one, though. Yeah, I, I can believe that. Never, you said you never dyed your hair? Is never dyed it? my hair. Never dyed my hair. Hmm. I'll go with the Disney one. Very good. I, I, one year I managed to make it to three, this is into 2000, so there weren't all the parks they have now. But I went to three of the four in one year, and I didn't make it to the fourth. So it just stretched the truth a little bit on that one. Wow. <laughs> so, so you're Done. actually a black belt? Yeah, I have a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. Dang. So is my wife. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, I did it um, pretty much through, I started when I was six, and I did it through high school and a little bit in college, and then I started playing rugby in college, so I stopped. Did you find that your taekwondo training helped with rugby? It helped with tackling (laughs) and the the ability to not be shy in contact. Yeah, that's true. I have a second degree or third degree brown belt. I can't remember which, but I did uh, karate in college. So nice, amazing. So can you break a a wood or brick or something with your foot? You can do that. Yeah, the um, various tests like you have to do. You know, it's pretty normal for lower levels to do like break a board. I think I did four boards with a certain kind of kick in my second degree test. It's wow. it's been a while since I've done it, but I can probably do a few boards. Not probably not four anymore. But Daniel, do you do taekwondo or karate? You or your kids? Uh, my kid does taekwondo. Okay. And uh, I did for a while. I mean, I I did. I'm a brown belt in that taekwondo. Wow. I'm oh a brown gosh. belt in. See, I'm a brown belt in well, brown belt in judo. Brown belt in uh, Japanese jujitsu. I've always wanted to do judo. We did a judo little bit of it. my favorite. If you like rugby, I think you would have liked judo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever had to use, have you, any of three of you who know how to do these things ever had to use it, like to protect yes. yourself or someone? Uh, yeah. When I was doing a psychiatry rotation in the Bronx, they, uh, they, one of the patients became agitated and he came at us. It was a plastic knife, but he still came at us and I was able to take him down to the floor and control his wrist. Wow. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I've never had to use it. All right, now we're going to wor- uh, move over to Nicole. Uh, so one of mine is kind of similar to Jordan's, actually. So I once went to Disneyland over 40 times in a year. My mom didn't make it to the hospital in time, so I was actually born in a parking lot. I did Japanese taiko drumming in high school. Mm, I love how your face doesn't give anything. Like you are just, mm, you know, mm-hmm. stoic. It's good. Yeah, yes. You could really fake a seizure. I believe you could you fake a seizure. <laughs> Let's good see. So taiko drumming, Disney forty times, and your know, you see, and your mother didn't make it last long time. So you were born in a parking lot. I was born in a parking lot. That's right. My mom did make it to the hospital. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, <laughs> wow. You had me there. There was a funny story about my birth, though. I was born on the 4th of July, and my dad was in training camp. He was in the Army at the time. Mm-hmm. He was joking to all of his buddies that he was going to say that his wife went into labor so he could get the holiday and then the following weekend off. And then when <laughs> oh. my mom actually went into labor, none of his buddies believed him. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. That's such a boy that cried wolf story. That is so funny. So you went to Disney World over 40 times in one year? Not Disneyland. I went to UCLA for undergrad in my senior year. I had an annual pass, and we wanted to make the most of it because (gasps) at the time it cost $6, which is, you know, cheap comparison now. I think $1,000 for the premium one with parking. Um, So, yeah, we... I think I only had class three days a week my last year, and so we would go. Oh, once that's amazing. Was off. <laughs> oh, wow. So what was your favorite ride? Oh, I love Space Mountain. I would always want to do that one at least two times. Indiana Jones okay. also holds a special place in my heart. Okay. And Tower of Terror used to be one of my favorites. Really? So you like the thrill. Oh, you yeah. You were out there for the thrill. Okay. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I wonder so she you, likes forensics. <laughs> I couldn't even do the teacups. Like I'm more, um, the rides I would do would be Ariel. The mansion was the scariest one I could do. Oh, I love. The I mansion. mean, I just. Oh, I it, love the it, mansion. It gets like they they try to take me on one of the rides. I I mean, I, I cannot do roller coasters. I just my vestibule system does not work. But I will. I want to during Disney World. They one day took me on a ride. One day ride like a jeep, or Disney World. And I had night terror, so I woke up just screaming all night long. And I did I didn't realize oh, I was no. doing it, but it woke all of them up because we were sharing a room, and it was just me reliving that ride. So they're like, oh, no more rides oh, for you. No. <laughs> It's funny you say that because the teacups I actually can't do because oh, really? I get really nauseous mm. on rides. Oh, okay. You fall down and fake a seizure? <laughs> <laughs> He's oh, never going to forget you days. now. One of these days, it's going to come in handy. You yeah. just watch. You just watch. Is not going to have a seizure. I'm not going to believe you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, okay. Well, now it's time for Dr. Verhardo to turn the tables on Sarah and I. Oh my gosh, I see like typed notes. I'm terrified now. Oh, yes. I know nothing about GU pathology unless it's like urine cytology where I can just. No, there's no GU pathology. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. All right. We're ready for it. So excited. So, what is this? You're going to tell us two truths and a lie? No, I'm going to tell you questions. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, whatever. Yes, whatever. Tell us, boss. Well, since it's uh, September Hispanic Heritage Month, I decided to do all of this in Spanish. Oh, <laughs> wow. That would, that would really be, <laughs> like, be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. No, I, I took do. French in high school is not useful, really. Okay. <laughs> so that I did come useful one time in my life, just once. What's that? When's that? One thing, when you're learning a foreign language, I think as adults, we always struggle because we're so self-conscious about, you yeah. know, uh, you know, are we, are we conjugating the word right? Are we using, you know, the right, you know, tense and stuff like that? And I was up in the mountains. I was in Ayacucho, Peru, and some French tourists came. They didn't speak Spanish or English. And my aunt's asking me, you know, hey, can you ask him to stay, you know? And, and I was like, oh, high school French, trying to get in there. So I was really struggling with them. Ask if they want to have breakfast. I go, oh, Voulez-vous petit déjeuner? You see, and I was like, and they're asking me what do they ha what do you have? And I was trying to say, oh, rose, lait, fromage. And I was really, it was such a it was such a struggle. And then somehow I managed to convince them that we're going to go to a typical Peruvian party uh, where they have um, a discotheque. Peruvian, well, typical <laughs> Peruvian music the, from the Andes. They had Andean music and different mm -hmm. singing, and then after what they dance. Well, then the beer started pouring. <laughs> Was and it like the chicha? Point, yeah, chicha and pisco and everything else. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and I noticed that once I stopped caring about if I was saying it right, I was, felt like I was fluent in French. We were like conversing left and right the whole time. It was no problem after that. Nice. Like, <laughs> More important life lesson. That's hilarious. Actually, that very much echoes my, my French. Like the best French I ever spoke was in Belgium after having a lot of really good Belgian beers. Mm. <laughs> there you go, friends. Okay. The all right. So these questions all have something to do with, you know, Latin American history or Latin American, but they're most of them are medical questions. Okay. What histologic change of the endometrium? Endometrium is named after former president of the United Nations Security Council. Aristellus. Mm -hmm. That's Isn't correct. Right? That was going to be my guess. Yeah. Yeah, Javier Aristellus. He just recently most, died, right? 
Yeah, February. You know, look, just past February. Mm -hmm. uh, some people confuse it. They think there's two people, but it's just because, you know, I guess Estella uh -huh. and in Latin America, we use, you know, both the paternal and maternal last names. Uh, he Is it hyphenated? Is he no, hyphenated? It's not hyphenated. Oh, no, okay. it's not hyphenated. Uh, uh, he was served as president of the UN Security Council in March 1984 and April 1985. He was also public health minister uh, of Peru in 1963 to 65 and 67 68. Uh, his discovery was done at Memorial Hospital, which is now called Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, he hmm. studied under Fred Stewart, which he was also awarded the Fred Stewart Award in 1992. Hmm. And he was also the Peruvian, uh, sort of the Peruvian the president of the National Academy of Science of Medicine in Peru. So he yeah, just passed away. Another wow. side note, he has a clinic or he has a molecular uh, pathology lab in, the, in a, one of the clinics in Peru, which is uh, Clinica San Felipe, which is the place where I was born. Wow. Oh. That's really cool. Yeah, I remember Gosh. one of my uncles had a bladder biopsy and – he asked me, you know, okay, go, could you take a look at it, second opinion, and then send me the PATH report, and it was signed by Arias Estela. So I was like, well, <laughs> only chances I'm not going to disagree with him. So I think you're okay. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. Next question. Uh, Oroya fever is also known by this other name. Hmm. Can you say that again? Oroya fever oh. is also known by a different name. What name? Hmm. I have no idea. I can think of a lot of other fevers like Q, dengue, yellow. Uh, but that's, hmm. Okay, well, I don't know. Can you give us carrion, carrion's disease. Oh, carrion disease. Oh, that yeah, sounds familiar. Actually, yeah, it was also named, it was named after a medical student, uh, Daniel Alcides Carrion. It's also uh, Baruga Piranha is the other name, uh, which is Peruvian uh, words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Oroya fever is the acute phase, and then uh, Baruga Piranha is the chronic phase. And uh, so what, uh, this is back in 1785, uh, you know. There was oh, man. The, the, this medical student, this Daniel Alcides Carrion, wanted to prove that these were the same disease, that they were just in different phases. Mm. So he had one of his buddies uh, inoculate him with uh, the blood from a 14-year-old that had Oroya fever. And so Oof. he did manage to prove it, but he actually managed to die in the process. Oh, uh, these stories so, do I, not end well when you inoculate yeah. yourself. <laughs> and I can't be able to prove it, but I did read somewhere that the medical student that inoculated him was then charged with murder. But then eventually oh. he was free. I forget oh, my goodness. So I give his yeah. life for this. <laughs> yeah, wow. What do our forensic pathologists think? What would that be ruled today? Accident? Well, natural it would be a so it would be a homicide, right? But really? homicide doesn't mean murder. Homicide doesn't mean murder. Homicide just means mm -hmm. death at the hands of another. Yeah. Murder is something that's yeah. brought up by like prosecution mm -hmm. in the state. Oh, interesting. So it wouldn't be an accident because he didn't intend to do it. Or would it be assisted suicide? It has nothing to do with like necessarily like okay. intent. Homicide um, doesn't have anything to do with intent. Just. Wow. Like murder has good. to do with intent. Manslaughter, um, like those were intent. Like homicide is no intent. See? I don't, we why say we nothing about the why. We just say the how. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're good. Uh, this, very these wise. are good. This is good. 
I was going to say, you know, initially I was like, oh, wow, you know, back in the day, medical students could get diseases named after them. But man, I mean, if that's there were, way to if there were, named that's, after a, you, yeah, right? that's a that's really a difficult one. way. Like that's, for, that's, that's, you know, that's more dedication than the case report. And, yeah. you know, if any, any disease deserves an eponym, it's someone who died trying to prove the pathophysiology. Ooh, and could he could have had tragic. a blood, a blood um, reaction, you know? Yeah. Taking blood from someone else in, in the 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, he did, yeah. He did receive a lot of honors. Actually, the day he died, October 5th, is now considered the day of Peruvian medicine. And uh, he has a, a province in the Cerro, Pasco, Cerro de Pasco region named after him. As He also has a soccer stadium named after him, a hospital, wow. and a university. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's great. Wow. Have you been to um, his, his burial site? Uh, no, he's actually, uh, he's buried in the Hospital Dos de Mayo. But I mean, I've seen pictures. I don't think I've actually been there. Okay. Hmm. I love going to historical, um, historical, um, like, grave sites. And actually, Mike, you, mi- you might have missed this. Daniel w- was at Rochester Institute of Technology. Oh, no. Okay. They have a wonderful, they have the most beautiful cemetery there. What's it called, Mike? Hope Cemetery or something? Mount Hope. Well, I mean, you walk through, it's like a park. It's so peaceful. And they have Whipple is buried there. Whipple from Hopkins, who described, oh, yeah. described Whipple's disease. Hmm. He went on to be president of Rochester University, I think. And so he's there. Susan B. Anthony's there. Frederick Sorry, when you said there were Whipples buried there, my first thought was like Whipple... Um, resections like there's a bunch oh. of like whipple <laughs> specimens buried there i was really confused <laughs> like the, the special anatomic collection of yeah. organs yes that's interesting yeah i was an undergrad right across the street from rit at ur small world i didn't know that okay this next question kind of ties in with carrion disease okay the microorganism that causes carrion disease belongs to what genus named after an argentine born peruvian microbiologist wow Whew. I would love to say I love Argentina. I just wanted to put that out there. I've been there once. It is such a beautiful country, and the food is fantastic. I would like to also say that I really enjoyed my visit to Peru uh, many years ago when I did some volunteering at Cusco. The food was also excellent. It I tried kui. Yep, did I did. Oh, we had we had alpaca. We had kui. Yeah, I'm I'm a big foodie, so I have to, I have to like try all the local foods. I like the um, bunuelos. The, the fried donuts, yeah. those were those are a little bit more, I think, like in line with a Western palate. I found that Kui was a little bit too much work. Yeah. Time to go back. I know, COVID, I know. After once, COVID, once, COVID, once COVID. So now that we've distracted um, Dr. Fajardo from the actual I was question. distracting you because I don't know the answer. <laughs> we don't know the answer at all. Um, Didn't we do anyone? a good job distracting you? Yes, yeah, I completely uh. forgot about it. <laughs> I think you meant to give us the point because we are so delightful. How about if I give you a hint? The guy's name is Alberto Barton. And they probably oh, English it's Bartonella. It's Bartonella. Bartonella. Bartonella, yeah. Oh, Yeah, I always think of Bartonella because of I had no idea. Disease. He yeah. was from Argentina. Hmm. Yeah, he was born in Argentina, trained in Peru, and died in Peru. He discovered uh, Bartonella back in uh, the cause of Oroya fever in 1905, posted in 1909, and in 1913, Richard Strong from Harvard came to Peru to study tropical diseases. He confirmed the findings, and he named the bacteria. First, it was called Bartonia in his honor, and then it became Barmella. Mm, cool. Cool. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Love it. And here's another one. Uh, this is another uh, legendary pathologist that we lost this year, Juan Lozai. Oh, my gosh. Uh, 
in what country did he did he receive uh, receive his medical medical degree and early pathology training? Well, he was in Italy, but I feel like he must have come from somewhere else, some in the South America. And he, I, gotta, I, I don't know. I'm gonna guess Peru, just because mm. you're also from Peru. But that is not mm. correct. Darn. What is it Chile? Ecuador? Colombia? Brazil? <laughs> I don't think it's Brazil, though, right? Because no. um, Michael, do you have a guess? Nicole uh, Jordan? I, I know it's in South America. Uh, I'm very Mexico? Sure. Colombia? Mexico? No. Hmm. Are you sure, Daniel? Are we just going to name all the South American countries? Is this like where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Ecuador, Peru, no. Colombia. <laughs> Guyana, French Guyana, Argentina. 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 Uruguay? Argentina, there you go. Argentina, Argentina. Argentina for the win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, he was born in Italy, but then he family moved before World War II to Argentina. And his actual oh. birth name is Giovanni Rosai. And oh. once he grew up in Argentina, he became Juan Rosai. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah, I've heard, I did hear when we were in Argentina, they said a lot of people from World War II were escaping or moving to Argentina. Mm -hmm. I wonder why that is. Why Argentina out of all the South American countries? Say it's maybe they had mm -hmm. set up. It felt very yeah, European. Yeah, you know, this, this the city felt very historic. Wow. Yeah, he's probably the most most pathologists I'm, I'm sure heard of Osai, you know, probably more than they've heard of Messi, you know, the famous soccer player from Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> so what brought him back to Italy? Do you know? Uh, no, I think he was always fond of Italy. Okay. Who wouldn't be, right? Mm. Yeah. I was hoping you were gonna say it was for love. <laughs> It could be, you know. I mean, you could love the wine and olives. Mm -hmm. that could be oh, a hello. And the pasta and the truffles. Yes. Oh, and so the countryside and the chocolate. Mm, everything was good. Everything, everything was good. good. The music, mm. the, the lifestyle. The theater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think we should just all move to Italy immediately after the recording. Of this let's podcast. do a live let's show from Italy. Let's do a live show. Oh. We need to figure out some way to make it happen. Live path. Like it has path, to be good path enough. Pod live. We could do path pod live. Yes, we and, need to. Uh, I'll give you one last question. I think you. Might oh yes, please, please. What legendary rapper is named after a historical figure who led an uprising against the Spanish in 1780? Oh, He's no longer with us. Not Tupac. Um, both both yes, those. Tupac. Are you serious? All right, tell me I the story. Uh, well, uh, Tupac, his full name is Tupac Amaru Shakur. Uh, his mother was a Black Panther, and so she kind of like revolutionary. So she named after Tupac Amaru the second. Uh, Tupac Amaru the first one was the actual the last Incan royalty wow. uh, that the Spanish executed. And so uh, Tupac Amaru two was a... Uh, person named uh, Jose Gabriel Condorcanqui Nogueira, and he was uh, Indian. And some say that he may have also been you know, part Spanish or you know, mestizo. And he was actually, you know, doing well for himself. You know, he had money and everything like that, but he did not like how the Spaniards actually treated the Indians. And so he uh, started a revolt. And uh, he actually ended up, you know, they, cr they crushed it, you know, and he was executed. Uh, but interesting, Tupac Amaru is, you know, Quechua words. And, you know, it's a Tupac means like kind of like noble royalty. Amaru means serpent. Hmm. And I always kind of admire this historical figure. So I always want to name one of my ch ch children Tupac Amaru. But then when Tupac Shakur came, I said, well, if I name him Tupac Amaru, it's like, oh, you named your kid after a rapper. You know? mm. <laughs> but uh, my oh. youngest child, his uh, Quechua name is Amaru. Oh, my gosh. 
That is so cool. I actually listened to my Tupac um, Pandora station rolling in because, you know, it's, I, I'm all about the throwback 90s hip hop. I, that was such a great time in history. So He's good. Such a talented artist. I saw them. Did you guys see the movie about his death? I forgot what it was called. But it was about his life and death. Oh. Mm-hmm. But it was, a, it was a good era, I think, of rap music and mm-hmm. still inspiring to listen to for your drive into work um, and to pump you up for other activities. Cool. Thank you. That was right. so fascinating. Oh was I learned fascinating. so much. I learned a lot. Uh, I because I did not know a lot actually starting out as it turns out. <laughs> so, thank you so much for the the uh, the fun trivia. Well, it's been fun. Now I got to check out this Dead Men Do Tell Tales podcast. Please yes, do. You definitely yeah. do. Yes. You are so missing out. You know when your guys' episode came out about you can eat anything once. I was actually we had this new garden, and our previous owners had planted a lot of things. And I was just walking around taking a little bit of what I knew to be basil, testing the rosemary, and I saw these one delectable little buds, and I was like, I should try those. And then I thought about you guys saying. It could be edible only once. <laughs> and then it was Fox Club. <laughs> no, thank you. Did you find out what it was? No, I left it. I was like, I can't, I can't. I've, I've learned. I should know better. Oh, my They gosh. told me, don't eat That's, things. Yes. Just because it's a plant doesn't mean it's edible. I, I just liked how you yeah. described it. Like, animals have protective defenses, and plants can't move and run, but they can still protect themselves through the poisons and this and that. So, mm-hmm. Thank you. You may have saved my life. Indeed, I love it. I always tell service. my kids, like, yeah, I always tell my kids when we go on hikes that we don't eat the environment, you know, like we just don't, we just don't eat things. And I feel like that's good advice for all of us. If you don't know what it is, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to the end of our quiz show. Sadly, this has been such a delight to spend time with all of you and learn from all of your experience and stories. So thank you so much to all of our episode y'all did thank amazing you guys and we will thank be you for having you us it was a lot of fun yeah. uh, yeah, we'll be sending you your clear rulers and you can be the envy of your friends and enemies, and enemies. all right oh, yeah. until next time thanks bye, everybody bye thank bye. you bye, bye. Support for the Free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod.